0: All right,
1: so this is the uh, uh, Friday evening call for the US. Also, uh, Saturday morning here, 9 AM in Thailand. Uh, And Daniel was just mentioning that he had gone to a
2: retreat
1: uh, at at Goenka. Was that the only retreat, Goenka retreat, that you've done? Or was Yeah, my first
2: one. I was really curious to just see what it was like uh, just spending like hours meditating, I don't know. I don't know what I was expecting, honestly. Nothing happened. <laughs> Here's an interesting
1: point, is, is that the schedule that they have comes out of Burma for people who are fairly advanced. But the teaching is for beginners. And almost yeah. all of the students that do Gawanka retreats are doing it the first time. Um, I've got a friend, his name is Dad. Last time I talked to him, he was the um, uh, logistics manager, like the number two guy at the um, Goenka Retreat Center in California. And okay. so he knows all about the um, computers and uh, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, the applications that they uh, file and, and computerize, uh, got some statistics and that kind of stuff. And what he pointed out was is that um, when a person does another retreat, a second retreat, it's often as many as seven years between the two retreats. Oh, interesting. And that um, uh, we kind of contribute that to the fact that the schedule is
2: ferocious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a trial by fire, I think. I think Mm -hmm. that's the intention is to just make it so brutal that it leaves a mark like koenka even jokes about how all the students must be suffering he like would always crack jokes about it on the recording oh well the recording he would crack jokes about the strong determination like how painful it is stuff like that and waking up early
1: yes i don't understand why that uh because that's not actually the
2: teaching of the buddha yeah that's another thing he's very sneaky about that he's just like kind of passes off his whole system as a teaching of the buddha but uh and pretty much everybody there doesn't know anything about dhamma or buddha's teaching or anything they're just total beginners so they just kind of take uh, what he's saying as like fact as like reliable but really it's kind of his own thing and it's very like uh overlooked by everybody or just gone unnoticed Mm -hmm.
1: I would say offhand that um, he didn't get all of the training that he could have gotten if he had stayed in Burma. The situation was is that in the 1950s when the Burmese government, uh, uh, let us say, became free from the British government, the British government had been in India for centuries. And they brought their entire administration out of India into Burma, rather than having to uh, retrain the Burmese for their uh, uh, bureaucracy. So uh-huh. when, the, so when the, um, the Burmese took over, their intention was is to change the bureaucracy from Indian back to Burmese. In doing that, Goenka was deported. And I think that that was 1959 when he was deported. And he had only been a student for several years of uh, Ubai Ken. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, Ubai Ken was a, one of these Burmese government officials. Yeah. Very
2: high ranking. Um, he apparently and, had a, a ton of responsibility in the government <laughs> that he had to manage, like all uh, the accounting and all this managerial stuff. He was like super uh, involved.
1: Which he is would impressive.
2: be like the the, the, uh, 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 the secretary
1: of uh, treasury. That mm-hmm. would be the US equivalent. So yeah, he yeah. was in charge of the so he was in charge of all of these new uh, accountants that had been Buddhist all of this time. And so that schedule was set up. So I understand for um, adult Burmese who had been practicing but they were giving them time off of work. That's where the 10 day course came from was from Friday evening to the following Monday morning. Yeah. And so, um, in that situation also, uh Gawank was Indian and he did not get all of the Hinduism out of his teachings. There's shards oh, yeah? and shreds of, of that kind of stuff. And um, one of the what, things what specifically, like the sun's stuff. I uh, well, I'm about to get into it. Sorry, one sorry. Of, Okay. So one of the points was, is that a lot of the Indian women who were doing the retreats, especially because he would do both English and Hindi retreats. Okay, he also went around India that I would follow him to Jaipur, I would follow him to Hyderabad. And I think that there was a couple of others. Uh, um, and that um, in in that, uh, the Indian part, the Indians would do the kind of pujas that they do in the temple. They would bring their bells, they would bring their beads, they would bring their own incense, they were bringing stuff in there. And that uh, this is where Goenka got the idea that you have to practice what we're teaching here. Uh-huh. And so that's why that's uh, pretty strong um, as, as a point was is that a lot of the teachings that he did, he did actually uh, do to the to the Hindus. And this is in the early days when he had just gotten back because I was there in 1980, 81, that time period, 82. So um, one thing is like the dress that he would, in fact, I'm I'm wearing the same thing. I can't complain because I'm wearing a, um, a plaided sarong the way that he would wear and um uh i don't have any real remembrance of things that were absolutely outrageously hindu uh but that uh the thing that i found most interesting in fact the reason that i finally left uh Puri, mm-hmm. was because i knew deep inside after all of that time with him, because he had just started the Satyapatana retreats as well, uh, that there was something missing in the teaching. That's, the Patana I mean.
2: is like the noting stuff?
1: Uh, well, actually, or the, insight the only thing stuff. that would be different would be, um, uh, it was just like a, a new retreat or a second retreat, the second grade kind of thing and Uh the schedule was exactly the same the sitting was exactly the same and more or less the teachings were uh, about the same thing Mm -hmm. Um, but that the Burmese system has always been fairly um, oriented around the Satipatthana Sutta as opposed to the Anapanasati Sutta you see the Anapanasati Sutta is um, According to Bhikkhu Buddhadasa, this is a point that he made was that the Buddha only taught one type of meditation practice, or one thing, and that was Anapanasati. Mm -hmm. That the Satipatthana Sutta is a kind of a companion, but it doesn't really have uh, any actual instructions. And it is based upon the four foundations, you know, the Satipatthana, just as the Anapanasati Sutta is. And that in the Anapanasati Sutta, it says that we're practicing Anapanasati for the fulfillment of the four foundations of mindfulness. And then we practice the four foundations of mindfulness for the fulfillment of the um, Sambojana, the seven factors of enlightenment. And then we practice uh, the seven factors of enlightenment, for knowledge, vision, and then release or um, uh, escape. Let's see, which which word is used? Deliverance. Oh, deliverance. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this sequence is kind of hard to tell. It's almost like that the Satipatthana Sutta was delivered in a different time, maybe a year or two or something different than the Anapanasati Sutta but that the um you the enter here's an interesting point and that is the early part of the Patana sutta goes into a kind of history that talks about the the practices that were happening early in the buddha's time including the charnel ground meditations and this is also um, covered in sutta number 119 which is the kaya nupasana sutta which is about the body But they do break off because there's in fact no um, vedana um, or chitta or dhamma nupassana sutras. There's only a kaya nupassana sutra, which gives the idea that maybe there was some stuff that was missing. Maybe it never got around. And so you're saying
2: that's where all the vipassana stuff is like derived from that's where they got it from right mm-hmm. okay okay yes
1: and that the um uh the better parts of the satipatthana sutta is in the dhamma simply because everything is so different from the anapanasati sutta to the satipatthana sutta in other words the dhamma part of the anapanasati sutta of Talks about the process of the mind, in the sense of uh, uh, anicca, uh, dukkha, anatta, or anicca, the uh, the constant changing leads to uh, deterioration and finally the destruction, and then the letting go and the release. But in the Satipatthana Sutta, that dhamma nupassana starts off first with hindrances because that's what people are going to experience in the first until they get rid of the hindrances they're going to do that and then the next part of the um, dhamma nupasana in the satipatthana sutta is dhamma that's to be investigated in other words uh if you look at it in this way You have first unwholesome and then you begin to have wholesome thoughts and the wholesome thoughts are intentionally Dhamma. Now in the Satipatthana Sutta, the uh, Eightfold Noble Path and the Four Noble Truths is discussed extensively. And the seven factors of enlightenment are only mentioned to where in the Anapanasati Sutta, it looks like that the seven factors of enlightenment the Sambojana is central. Now here's one point for one thing is, is that Goenka hardly ever referred to the Eightfold Noble Path, which is actually the real teaching of the Buddha. And that he doesn't mention the Sambojana that I remember ever. Uh, and that, uh, what I began to put together because the Satipatthana Sutra talks about the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Noble Path, but the Anapanasati Sutra talks about the Sambojana. I began to recognize, oh, they're the same thing. One of them is a to do list, and the other one is a done that list. Mm. Okay, the seven factors of enlightenment are after we've well practiced, uh, the, the. the the factors on the Eightfold Noble Path, they become enlightenment factors as the skills are developed. Yeah. So, uh, the first item on the Sambojana is unremitting mindfulness. Now, that word unremitting, uh, we can think of as persistent, okay, or insistent you keep coming back and coming back and coming back. Well, if you, the way that a lot of people have it is is that you've got to go there and stay there and the mind doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. That is, that it's not uh, uh, a a kind of an indwelling. It's more of a repetitive coming back to it. An example of that would be if you uh, hold the pedal down on a piano or hold a note down, you just strike that note and hold it, it will have an intensity in the beginning and then the fading off. And if you keep holding that key, you're going to not have any music anymore. It's gonna stop. Yeah. But if you come back and hit it again, then it's gonna make another sound again, or yeah. like beating a drum. So the example that I would use is this would be the drum head and this would be the mallet. Is this the way to make music? Mm-hmm. No, you're not going to have any music on a drum like that. What you have to do is hit it. Okay, and so this is what that that quality of unremitting is, is that we keep having to do it. We keep having to apply it over and over and over again. And this is what makes it um, an enlightenment factor, is that we keep coming back. We keep remembering. Now, that's another word that we can put in there is the word sati is actually, or let us say, most frequently in the English translated as mindfulness. And yet mindfulness is not a word that we would commonly use in English. In fact, the reason that mindfulness has become common in the English is because of its application to Buddhism. All of those years, nobody ever used the word mindfulness. They would, do, they would make a, um, a statement like mind your P's and Q's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because of the letters, you know, they're, they're switched back and forth. Uh, people, the, the kids will get K's and R's backwards and things like that. Yeah, so yeah. Um, if we realize that the, um, the word mindfulness actually is kind of misleading, that the minding of the p's and q's can't be done unless you remember to keep track this is part of the reason why uh on computers now people spelling is a whole lot better is because it will be underlined to remind the people that this is a misspelled word or that the computer doesn't have this word in it so this is what we mean by reminding this is the quality of the sati And so the unremitting sati would be that it's coming back and coming back. We remember to remember, remember to come out of the past or whatever the mind is doing into the present moment. This is the remembrance Uh, and that the word mindfulness is possibly closer to the word investigation. Which is yeah. what the, uh, the second one on the list of the Sambojana is unremitting investigation or of, the, of the mind states. And it's interesting about that word state, because that's also what we're looking at in the Anapanasati Sutta in the sense of gladdening the mind, means that we're not actually just having gladdening words. But we're actually changing our attitude. We're actually changing the mind state. The state of the mind needs to be changed, and so this is often the one of the things that students fail to look for. uh, In the sense of, well, what's my state of mind right now? Am I worried? Am I uh, trying to solve some problem, or am I in a state of everything is okay and there's no problems to solve? Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm so um if we practice this way which is part of the reason that the goenka system is so hard for people is because they get themselves in a frustrated state of mind and goenka is joking about leaving them in that state of mind yeah rather than changing the state of mind to
2: bring it up I think the attitude is like shock therapy. There, like, let's induce a bunch of voluntary suffering, and uh, maybe something will happen. I feel like that's, I feel like that's well, with a lot of plantation.
1: Right. So the attitude then becomes that I put in my dues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or mm-hmm. that you owe me now because I have uh, done the work that was necessary, and this fits into the um, the cultural. Uh, way of looking at it. And this is what the Buddha talks about uh, in the the four woeful states of the animal. Now, when I was originally um, hearing about this, especially through the Gwenka, here's one of the points you ask about uh, the Hinduism was that people get the idea that they're going to be reborn as an ant or a fly or a bee or a worm or or something really low um, uh, on the um, uh, evolutionary scale but actually what I've come to understand it to mean is the dumb animal is actually a draft animal a domesticated uh, machine that's designed to do work the donkey that pulls the cart This is the dumb animal. And how humans get into that state is uh, like doing the first grade. The example is, well, the kid says, well, why should I have to learn the ABCs? And mom will say, so you can read. Why should I read? So that you can... uh, learn stuff okay and all of this kind of stuff but the mom never says to the kid oh you can learn the abcs because you'll enjoy learning it and i'll be really proud of you which is the mm-hmm. kind of thing that happens right here and now so it's always future oriented so if you do the Goenka retreat and suffer through it then later you'll get some value or some reward out of all the suffering that you've done well, guess what? Those draft animals—you've uh, heard of uh, of the story of the carrot and stick—that you have the uh, the stick out on a with a string holding a carrot in front of the donkey, and so the donkey will uh, try to get the carrot and will move forward and carry the uh, the the load. But if the donkey doesn't do that, then you take the carrot and the stick and beat the uh, the donkey with the stick. Mm-hmm. All right. And so, um, the point is, is that the donkey never gets that carrot that's dangling in front of him. He never gets it. If he gets yeah. all the way to the destination and the, the the, uh, the driver will take the carrot, put it in a box and put that same carrot out in front of the donkey tomorrow. And the donkey never gets any reward for what he's doing. So this is the way that the, uh, many people practice and it's very, very set up that way in the Goenka retreat so that people don't get the benefit or the reward for their hard labor. And so the, the story is, I put in 10,000 hours, and the other guy says, well, I put in 50,000 hours. And then the guy says, well, I put in 100,000 hours of meditation. And all three of them are looking for some benefit from their meditation practice, almost as if the comma machine is going to waltz into the meditation hall, do some chanting and some pot. And then they're going to feel good. Then they'll be in bliss because they're
2: rewarded finally for all the hard work that they put in. I think this is like how people rationalize a lot of stuff in life. Just like everything. (laughs) People are people in the West are surprisingly like believing in karma. Like, oh, I should or shouldn't do this because of like universal law, which they really have no idea about.
1: Actually, the way that the Westerners look at comma is kind of different than they do in Asia and the Westerners are highly, highly Christianized in the way of Christianity's teachings in the sense of your war, your reward is in heaven. You're going to have to wait a long time. You're going to have to wait for the bank to burn down before you can withdraw your money.
2: Yeah. Okay. I think, uh, but would you and, say, yeah? Yeah, go ahead. Or would you say that like a lot of the suffering basically f- stems from like clinging to belief?
1: Oh, it's one of the four modes of clinging clinging to views, the thicket of views. Yeah. And also, it's the, our own personal territory. Our belief system is our own personal territory which means then that we can apply the, the this to an instinct that we have a natural territorial instinct
2: mm-hmm.
1: that this land is my land. God gave it to me. Okay. So this is my religion. God gave that to me, or this is my, um, science. or this is my point of view and mm-hmm. it, it, uh, very closely matches that territorial instinct, which is actually built right into our DNA.
2: Yeah. Like a survival mechanism, evolutionary.
1: It's evolutionary survival mechanism. Mm. But it's not liberating.
0: Ah, we have a guest. Hello. Namaste. Ban- Namaste. What,
1: is, what is your name? Awara Panyo. Ah, thank you for joining. Yeah. Uh, Where are you located?
0: Uh, Right now, I'm about an hour outside Bangkok.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. How long have you been ordained? Now is uh, five years. Congratulations. You've made it over the hump. (laughs)
0: Well, we'll see.
1: (laughs) We'll see how it goes. You know, the traditional hump of five years, and after that, uh, you do not have to request permission from your Ubijaya to travel anywhere that you you want to go. Yeah. So most Westerners who ordain, they don't make it five years. Sure. Sure. So congratulations on both those points. So today, uh, before you joined, we were talking about... um, Uh, the Satipatthana in its relationship to the Anapanasati Sutta, as well as um, uh, Gowanka and his method. Have you ever done a Gowanka retreat?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, so you'll know what what we're talking about. Um, The statement that I made earlier was, is that the schedule seems to be for very advanced students, but the teachings and the way that they set it up, almost all the people in the retreat are beginners. And so it winds up being a kind of a boot camp as opposed to a, and I mean a military boot camp, where there's a lot of HUP two three four and a lot of suffering and, and a lot of stuff like that. And the, the students get into the idea that If you put in enough hours and suffer enough through your meditation, then there will be a reward there someplace in the future. To where the teachings actually of the Buddha from the perspective of, oh, let us say number 117, 118, 19 and several other sutras where uh, the Buddha talks about removing unwholesome thoughts and making them wholesome thoughts, or the same thing would be the hindrances. And Goenka does not uh, stress removal of the hindrances nearly the way that the Buddha would um, would, would stress that. That in fact, in Sutta number 117, um, with Sati, to remember, to look at what we're doing with discernment, and then right effort, to make a change right then and there that we don't practice and look at dukkha and look at dukkha for five years and then all of a sudden some inspiration will come or maybe the karma machine will whack you with um shaktipat or something and then we wake up and gain the benefit after all of that time that in fact in the anapanasati sutra the gladdening the mind is something that we do right away we remove these hindrances very very quickly This is, in fact, the first practice that we have is removing unwholesome thoughts and putting in wholesome thoughts, which means that the students are going to be getting benefit from their practice right now, that they can come out of their misery right now by focusing on something that's positive. So um, in this regard, the Western Buddhism has to do with delayed gratification. And that uh, the actual teachings of the Buddha is no dukkha and dukkha Naroda coming out of that state of dukkha right now is the gratification that we don't wait. That we come out of it immediately. Um, So you could say then that the entire teachings of the Buddha this recognized as dukkha, dukkha Naroda. That's the only thing that the Buddha teaches. The way that it's taught and the way that it's practiced and the way that Goenka and also the Mahasi method that's taught in the West, not necessarily from um, uh, Mahasi Saladal, the monk, but the practice is dukkha 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 more dukkha look at the dukkha deep dive into the dukkha see that this dukkha is related to that dukkha over there and it's always inside into the dukkha but they never get into the dukkha naroda that that's delayed to where in the actual teaching of the buddha No, as soon as you see the dukkha you end it right then and there dukkha dukkha naroda And so if we practice that over and over again, we begin very to get very good at being in a state of no dukkha. And so this is what I learned from Bhikkhu Buddhadasa was is that know the value of your practice is immediate. That if you go into an hour session with Gowanka, they go in reluctantly and they come out really exhausted, really tired and really frustrated. But if they're practicing correctly, they can go into it, into the practice, into the hour sitting happily and get even more happy throughout their that hour sitting. Go ahead, Daniel.
2: You think there's value, though, to the strong determination thing? Because I would notice, like, I finish an hour-long sit without moving, and I feel like, wow, like I pushed through that, and I was uh, – observant of the pain, but like sort of practice being neutral and I sort of like gain a little control over my, my mind. So you think right. there's no value to that? Well,
1: yes. In fact, we're now going back to the eight noble path. We have uh, Sati and Ditti are actually the um, the investigation and then putting in the right effort. Now you're putting in effort. Let us not say that it's exactly right effort, but you are putting in some effort and getting some result. And then the fourth item on the list is Sama Sankapa, which is referred to as right intention. I would translate it better as right attitude. And there is where you are. You're changing your attitude from I can't do this. This is really difficult into wow, I can do it.
2: Yeah, that's wholesome.
1: Mm-hmm. And so uh, let us say that uh, we could get that, wow, I can do it feeling from a better practice in the sense of uh, you wake up or sati, you remember to take a deep breath. You remember to change this hindrance from, oh, I don't like this into, wow, I can handle this and we use those words and change the mind state. So then the Sutra number 117 in the great 40 out of the the Nikaya is is spoken like this, that Santi and Ditti and Virya are right effort, run in circle. These three run in circle around each other. Are you going to leave us?
0: Yeah, I have to go. Uh, Someone just arrived here. Thank you.
1: I would really like it if you came back.
0: Okay yes i will come back
1: sometime excellent well we do this on uh this time of day on saturday
0: morning every week so good we'll see you so
1: with with this right effort of cycling around with sati that the stronger our sati is the easier it is to do um the effort and with the right effort, these are skills that are being developed. And with right effort, with looking to wake up, take a look at what you're doing and make a change, wake up, take a look at what you're doing and making a change. And these three things run around each other. And then the fourth item comes in with the confidence that I can do this process. I can remove these hindrances. I can get my mind straight. And that's when that competence, that Shraddha, comes into Sama or the right attitude. We're actually changing the state of mind now into I can do it. I can do this. And so this is why we have this quality of repetition. Doing the right thing over and over and over and over again is a completely different thing than putting in a whole lot of work and then expecting some results of that. So an example that I would use would be like going to the gym and lifting weights that what the practitioner does. And in fact, the new student they're given little dumbbells, like two kilograms, which are for the beginner kind of heavy, but then they do repetitions over and over and over and over and over again to build those muscles. But when they're going to be lifting great big barbells with huge amounts of weight, they don't do that much. They don't do repetitions of 200 kilograms. A guy getting 400 pounds in the air is a one time shot and he's kind of done for the day. And this is the way that meditation is practiced is giving the students very, very heavy weights to lift. When they don't have the muscles to do that, the mental muscles. Yeah. And so it's the repetition of little weight over and over and over again that will build up those muscles so that occasionally a disaster will happen. And then we'll have the strength to handle that disaster. Like mom dies or divorce or losing one's job. Or your, um, your guru dies or something like this. Those are uh, big occasions that are not frequent and we may have the muscle power, the mental muscle power to do that. Mm-hmm. Only because we've done the small amounts of weight over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is the actual practice, is that let's get secluded. Let's get away from all the big problems of life and go into a secluded place where we can practice repetition of just changing these thoughts from unwholesome thoughts to wholesome thoughts very very lightweight stuff to do over and over and over again but in fact if the students will change their mind from an unwholesome thought to a wholesome thought they will eventually start changing their mind or their attitude and I've had a lot of students who come and say, well, I keep having wholesome thoughts, but I don't feel wholesome yet. And the answer to that is, is, we'll keep practicing. You're not ready for that 100-pound or 100-kilo barbell right now. Let's still practice and
2: rep with the one or two-kilogram dumbbells. I think it's less about even the thoughts, but more about just creating like a general wholesome state. I yes. mean just like mindlessly saying words over and over doesn't really do anything. It's more about just relaxing and like consciously uh like your whole your whole system just making mm-hmm. it good as opposed to not dwelling Exactly. You know. Um and so the, and worst the noting and the, the vipassana is good because you strengthen the looking muscles. So that is very useful. And yes. they do talk about that, but it's just not as obvious as it could be, probably to ah.
1: beginners. So they do develop some muscle. They develop in fact sati. They also yeah. develop the looking or the investigation. What they're not developing is the right effort. Those muscles are not developed. And what are what is the right um, effort is to change our thoughts, to change our
2: attitude. To, well, to they talk get... about they talk about like real peace. They can find we can find it in things that in basically developing the equanimity of mind. We're basically good things, bad things come and go. But we cultivate a peaceful and wholesome state of mind by just rolling with the punches. <laughs> okay. Oh, so but okay. But but my that's question a good is, point. go ahead. Yeah, yeah. what? Well, I mean, like, there's a lot of talk about, like, grounding ourselves in the truth and like the objective reality, that's like a big theme in Buddhism. And that was to the defense of Goenka a little bit, that was like heavily emphasized that we should just drop the stories, drop what's between our ears and get back to like the objective sensations. And that that's that will be lasting, that won't go anywhere. That will be like mm-hmm. something we can be anchored to and uh, not be disturbed.
1: Right, so there is just a thread or the very tiny little bit of the Sama Sankapa is because if the, uh, the people will remove the unwholesome thoughts, eventually they might stumble on the fact that they can't have instead wholesome thoughts. And so they're doing uh, a little bit of right effort, but not much right
2: effort. Yeah, you don't want to become, I think that is the problem with the whole equanimity, uh, equanimity thing, where it's like, oh, I'm totally equanimous. I can't even, like, take action. Like, I can't even change stuff. You know, I can't even make changes for the better because I'm just being totally neutral.
1: That uh-huh. is
2: But they're not generally
1: totally neutral. They When they say they can't change stuff, that's almost a loser's attitude because yeah. they really do want to change stuff. Yeah, of course. Why else so are they it's sitting there? Mhm-hmm, exactly, and so yeah. equanimity, I don't think should even be taught to the beginners in the Gowanka course
2: that they, I don't it's think it's being like observed and it's what it was meant by whatever Buddhist master or whatever. It's kind of just being used as a placeholder for uh as, as like a practice tip, like just try to be accepting. Mm-hmm. but equanimity is like a whole other thing. I don't even think anybody experienced it on the whole retreat. Okay. Well, let's look at it from the perspective you used the term
1: a moment ago of roll with the punches. Right. Okay. Well, now well, guess what? Yeah. There's a whole variety of punches that mm-hmm. it's really, really hard to roll with a big slug in the head. Yeah, right? yeah. But it's easy enough to roll with a with a gentle slap. Yeah. So. That's back to the point about doing the repetition with the small dumbbells is that we can learn to roll with little punches, then we can learn to roll with a little bit bigger punches, and pretty soon we can learn to roll with the haymakers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: All right, but within the Gawenka retreat, they start throwing, or the students start to themselves throwing great big haymakers right from the very beginning. Yeah. But the Buddha doesn't recommend that. In fact, that whole story about getting into seclusion to get away from it all, which means to get away from all of the heavy duty punches so that we can start learning to deal happily with the little slaps.
2: So, you think that's the value of ordaining as a monk? That you just get to basically practice the fundamentals of Dhamma? And uh, because the challenges and like the conditions of life are too much to develop like a a solid skill? Because I have this uh, discussion in my head. It's like, yeah, you can become a monk and it'll probably be like easy. You're just basically on retreat all life, all your life. Well, there's two sides to it, right? People think that mm -hmm. being a monk is challenging and in a sense it is, but in another sense, when you're you're not not ready for it. Right, right. And yeah, but in another sense, it's, easy because you're not dealing with all the challenges and pursuits of the householder's life. Uh, But wouldn't a householder possibly be better off because they have more opportunities to practice? What's your take on all that?
1: All right. So let's look at it from this perspective. There is a sutta, uh, number 48, uh, the Kasambian sutta, where the Buddha talks about the stages of practice, and one of the later stages is is that when the monk is only interested in the Dhamma, he's Dhamma Mm full-time. So even that if he's sweeping the uh, the grounds, he's still thinking about the Dhamma. Or another example uh, on that same thing is a mother cow will look after her calf but she's got one eye open while she's eating. So she's eating grass or she's doing whatever she's doing, but she's looking after that calf. She's got a, a, an eye on the calf. Yeah. Okay. Most people, Westerners especially, when they get into Buddhism, they only think about Buddhism maybe once or twice a day. Yeah, yeah. All right and so uh the point for the monk is is that when people get so deep into the dhamma that they want to actually say i got nothing else to do with my life other than dhamma," and i have a lot of friends in uh um here on the list that have wound up here in thailand to check out these deeper kinds of things so if someone for the wrong reason ordains too quickly then uh, that ordination he's not ready for, and it's a great big challenge for him. But if somebody has already come to the point of um, wanting to be a monk, then when he does ordain, he's ready for that deep kind of seclusion. Yeah. Okay. so this is the way it's kind of a process and that some people, in fact, most of the Westerners ordain too early. They don't stay monks and they quit it because it was too much for them. That they but didn't you, have the one skills. Time we were ha- yeah, sorry, go ahead. They didn't have the skills to, to be focused on the Dhamma all the time. And so the monks then are looking for motorcycle magazines, are looking for <laughs> um, um, uh, pornography, they're looking for all kinds of things to distract them because they're not really fully deeply into the dhamma yet so that's the time for someone to ordain It's
2: when they've got nothing better to do yeah but how would you how would you call it you know how would i call it yeah how would you call it like how do you know when it's right versus the because you could be really into like the dhamma uh or i i don't know one time we were having a conversation and We were talking about like the same topic because I've brought it up many times and uh, you were like, maybe it could be more wholesome to join the military because we were talking about the military. Mm -hmm. It could be more wholesome to do something like that because you uh, gain that attitude of I can do this. Like, is it possible that and this is a common critique of ordaining as a monk is that it might be a cop out like it might be too easy that it might be more uh beneficial to your progress uh on whatever development to like be to just be a a lay person even if you Uh, understand the dhamma in any regard Uh, it's the repetition it's the building
1: up of the muscles the mental muscles of remembering to take a look to make a change and congratulate yourself so when people are saying that it's a cop-out those are ordinary people who were saying, Why should he have to get a break and not have to have a job when I have to? And that's just a bad attitude on the behalf of the people on the
2: outside. That's
1: not, I'm not an inside
2: thing. Uh, uh, with like having a job or whatever, having a family, all that stuff, wouldn't that be better? Wouldn't that be more rigorous and like fruitful training for looking? And, and cultivating wholesome.
1: Yes, except Mm. going back to that, that when people are in the lay life, they get too many haymakers that they're not ready for. Yeah. All right. And so if the, um, uh, the lay person will practice and will practice and does practice and keeps practicing. He goes through then the, the two-fold process of one is, is that he can handle the haymakers easier, but then he also gets the attitude. Why should I have to deal with these haymakers when I really could go off into seclusion and be a monk? Mm-hmm. That's the difference. Okay. This is that, um, in lay life. Yes, there's some big problems to have to solve, mainly because almost all of the people who are around you are ordinary people slugging it out with each other. Mm-hmm. And so getting into seclusion so that we can start handling the tiny little slaps of the bad attitudes and the uh, the worries that we have and start having a wholesome uh, mind state. By having that wholesome mind state, like I said, there's two fold processes. One is that we want to get away from the world, that we want to do Dhamma, that we don't yeah. want to deal with ordinary people who were slugging it out with each other. We want to get away from that and get around uh, noble people, get around the monks mm-hmm. who are not slugging it out with each other. Then's when we can uh, refine it or get the the the, the little stuff done uh the residue so you could say then that the big stuff always comes up and manifests itself as hindrances in the moment the really heavy duty bad feelings we have because of events and whatnot but if we can get out of that um, arena and get around really really wholesome people then we can begin to refine are fine-tuned, just like modern carpenters will use various grades of um, sandpaper Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that they can get a very, very rough edge down to a smoother edge. But if they go all the way down to um, buffing by doing a 600 grade and then a 300 grade and then a 100 grade and then start buffing it, they can actually get it to polish. You can polish wood but you can't polish it with the buffer when it needs the heavy uh, sandpaper to start with. Okay. okay. So you can see then that the world is really heavy duty sandpaper. And yes, you can get quite a lot done, but you need to have re- more refined sandpaper in order to get the real polish job done, getting free from, what we call the underlying tendencies getting rid of the fetters themselves rather than having to deal with the
2: slugfest right so going to the source doing the fundamentals is that kind of what you mean by the little things well,
1: guess what it's always the fundamentals hmm. yeah 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 it's always the fundamentals in the sense of um we're not going to be able to deal with grandma's death Unless we're dealing with gladdening the mind before then, that we can, in fact, deal with grandma's death, the big slugs, if we can um, keep practicing gladdening the mind and gladdening the mind. then when we find out that granny's dead, we can gladden the mind right now instead of having, oh, I miss her. We can have, oh, she was a wonderful old lady. May she rest in peace. She's better off now okay so this is the way we can start handling those thoughts but when um someone is a monk too soon then uh having nothing to do is quite a challenge then in fact that's one of the uh, the statements that i had with eric and he got the point immediately here was the situation um due to uh, visa issues, he wound up in a forest wat, a tiny little town with a tiny little wat in Laos. And he uh, communicates to me is that all oh, he wants to go to a bigger watt or a better wat because the watt that he's in is not a challenge for him. And my answer to that is, oh, so, not having a challenge is a challenge for you yeah. and he he got it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. okay then-
2: that's definitely true <laughs> on the on the meditation retreat the goenka retreat uh you realize that you're attached even to like work and like stress and mm-hmm. uh exercise and all this like stuff people usually view as just unfavorable you know uh-huh. unagreeable but even that where we cling to it because it just fits because basically it comforts uh deeper things that we're attached to like beliefs Mm
1: -hmm. and
2: like uh states of mind something like that yes yeah
1: and look at all the examples that we have that this is one of the values of becoming a monk and getting away from it all is now you're dealing with people who have gotten away from it all and so they can sort of refine each other, let us say that if you've come down to from a 600 grain to a 300 grain or whatever the way that they deal with, with sandpaper, smoother objects will smooth each other. But if you put a really smooth object and you put a very heavy uh, grainy uh, thing on it, that graininess will not be smoothed out by the smoother. In fact, the graininess will dig into the smoother part. Okay, Okay. so with with that, it's better than for a begin, let us say, a student of the Dhamma, to be around nobles. This is what the Buddha recommended for the issue of the Sangha: is let's not associate with people who are not good for us. Let us. um, So many many examples of that in the real life. One of them is chess. If you have a very, very high quality chess player, maybe a master and you have a beginner, that beginner will get better by playing the master. Cause the master will point things out and teach him along the way. But right. while he's doing that, the master gets sloppy. Mm-hmm. The master gets really sloppy because he is not being, uh, up to the level of the challenge of the, of the chess. So, So grandmasters should pay Mm -hmm. Hmm. so beginners should people should play with people who are better than them but
2: grandmasters need to play against grandmasters someone at your own level but you agree it's probably not the best thing to rush into ordination and like you think there's any harm to waiting well, are you talking about it from an Asian mentality or from a Western mentality? You see them? I think from a Western mentality. Yeah, Asians okay. we know we've discussed they go in and out as they please. But mm-hmm. I feel like if you and they have considering support the West- from
1: their family and they have support for their community. Yeah, it in fact is quite common. I've I've actually seen it to where a guy goes whose and says I'm going to ordain. And I'm Mm -hmm. going to be ordained for three months. And the guy says, I'll see you when you get back.
2: Yeah, and it's okay. It's like a normal thing
1: there. Normal thing. A westerner goes into his boss and says, I'm going to Thailand and ordain three months. And the and the boss will say, Good luck. Goodbye.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. So uh there's a difference in the in the mentality that the the family the uh the community the bosses all support the uh the Asians with the westerners oftentimes he's in conflict with his family
2: about I guess his there's, just a, there's just the pressure there's just the feeling once you learn about all this stuff uh that like nothing is more important than sort of like spiritual progress.
1: Ah, but very few people have that attitude.
2: Yeah. Well, then, yeah, yeah. In the West, very few people are, or, or they it's think of it's uh,
1: Buddhism as not the spiritual. Buddhism is of the devil. Yeah, yeah. And so you have that, that, that issue. And so, um, uh, by the way, the Buddha recommends and that in Thailand is actually in force that the Abbot or the uh, Upajaya or the Achan who is going to be insisting in your ordination, they will insist that they it's proven to them that you have your mother's permission. Yeah. Okay. And that's for the Westerners sometimes hard to come by. hmm because mom doesn't want him to go to Asia or to go to Wawatan and um get away from it all because I'm the me that's the all that he wants to get away from is the attitude. To where in Tainan, uh, the story is is that the mother rides to heaven on the uh, the coattails of the robe. Yep. Okay. And so moms in Asia want their sons to ordain as Buddhist monks. In the West, the moms don't want the, mo- the boys to ordain. And so there's that additional issue. But there, um, the idea then is, is that Westerners don't ordain because it's part of the culture. They've got to really be dedicated. Yeah. Very rarely do you have a Westerner who is going to ordain. Uh, he may not be ready for it, but he's at least gung-ho to do it. Yeah. To where in Thailand, the monks who ordain do it out of family obligation. They do it out of social and whatnot like that. And then their gung-ho for the Dhamma will go after they ordain. Yeah. And so this is part of the reason why the, uh, the Westerners don't, don't last in the Dhamma. is because they have uh, the gung-ho attitude, but they don't have the skills to deal with nothing at all. The way that, uh, that Eric was talking about, that having nothing to do was quite frustrating to him. Yep. Because he was used to having a job, doing what he was told to do etc. So, the, yeah. the, big, the bigger issue then is, is that um, if the Westerner, when he wants to ordain, doesn't have the skills that he needs to ordain, where, what are the skills that he needs? Well, he already needs to practice being in seclusion. Maybe not weeks at a time, but a, a few minutes at a time, a few hours at a time to get away from it all, that in fact uh, the seclusion is kind of artificial when the students do a Goenka retreat. The Buddha recommends go to the forest, go to a foot of a tree, go to an empty hut, go to a pile of straw, get away from the village, get away from it all, and then bring Sati to the fore. Practice sattis, practice remembering to look at what we're doing, make a change, and congratulate ourselves. This is the Eightfold Noble Path. So when we practice that, we're gaining some value immediately. And if we practice it well enough, we begin to see. wait a minute, I would rather do that than anything else. And now he's ready to ordain is because he's gotten that gung-ho attitude about it.
2: I think that's the way to do it because if you just read about it and you go for it that might be you might be bad but let's say you spent like a few maybe a decade even just for just for good measure and you really delight in like the dhamma and you've kind of like distanced yourself from western values and then you just naturally find that hey going to live at a monastery would be just easy it would just be pleasant yeah be a great way to continue what i like to do that Absolutely. that would be a good way, and I'm right. happy to let go of everything. That would be the natural way to do it. That would be the excellent way to do
1: it, and not only the additional benefit is now that you're getting away from all of that um, uh, slugfest. Now you're, you're putting getting down into, the heavy weight, putting down that heavy weight of society, and now we can go to the temple, go to the wat, and and associate with all of those other people who have put down that burden of life, and are in. Uh, retreat and seclusion. So getting back to the point about the retreats is is that the the retreats are artificial in the sense that they're not really secluded, you're supposed to have noble silence, they say, which means to ignore everybody else. But that's not what the Buddha teaches.
0: He doesn't teach. teach.
1: Yeah. Right. So he doesn't teach um, to deal with people by ignoring them like you have at a meditation retreat, but rather that when you're in retreat yourself away from everybody, when you're in seclusion, you practice those repetitions to get the strength so that you can go back and deal with the ordinary people. Mm-hmm. All right. So if the Goenka retreat goes and the retreat itself is heavy duty it's got a heavy schedule you're not in retreat if you went to the forest to the foot of a tree you can just bring finals to the poor and you can take it easy relax and everything is really nice yeah but if you go to a retreat oh no you've got a schedule they ring those bells you've got to be here and do what i tell you to do
2: yeah when people think of the word retreating they don't think of that they don't think of boot camp they think of retreating you know mm-hmm.
1: A retreat should be a retreat, not a boot camp. Yeah. And so that's why the Gruenka retreat system, that's why it is so, let us say, um, non-functioning instead of going into the retreat and people come out all blissed out and everything is so happy and fine because I've changed all of that mind state. I've uh, come out of that uh, loser's attitude into the winner's attitude and all of that to where people go into these retreats, these heavy retreats, and they come out of the retreat. Oh, I'm so glad to get out of that retreat. The yeah. relief is the day of the end of the retreat rather yeah. than the whole retreat long. And, and, uh, uh, and so they have the attitude, I don't want to go back there again. that's tough work. Because of the schedules being so hard. Yeah. And and so the students are challenged in a way that they don't need to be challenged. They're challenged in those Goenka retreats the way that they're challenged in boot camp or in the Army. They're challenged in the Goenka retreats the same way that they're challenged in university. The boot camp retreats are uh, very much like a
2: heavy-duty slug slugfest. To their, their credit, though? someone who's really lost in just the western life, even that little 10-day thing, guys I talk to who have jobs and families, notice the difference of living a life where you've just completely withdrawn from normal pursuits. Mm -hmm. One guy was telling me, like, on day five or six, I just smiled, and I, like, understood what monks are up to, you know? When you drop all these things, all these things you want, all these things you're going to do, and you're just nothing to do nowhere to go like you say nothing to do and no place to go exactly and realizing that for the first time even that could be powerful for people and there is a benefit to the hard work as well yeah but the message might be garbled
1: right okay so there are various ways to look at it in in the refinement and if the student for instance on day six this guy had uh, that generally day six, by the way, in the Goenka retreats is the low spot. It may have mm-hmm. been, in fact, day seven when he came to uh, out of that low spot. Uh, the, day seven is generally because now in day six, you, you're wearing down. That's like the middle of the retreat. You've got about half of it done and, and it's taken the mickey out of you. All right. But day seven, you can see light at the end of the tunnel. Oh, oh this is almost finished. I can yeah, handle yeah. this now. And so the yeah. attitude is changed naturally instead of the right way for it to have is for the, for the teacher to encourage them to make that mental change. Mm-hmm. To make the change of, oh, here you are in a retreat and you've got no place to go and nothing to do. Why don't you just sit and enjoy it?
2: Yeah. Practice
1: and yeah. enjoy sitting here rather than practicing trying to get it
2: done yeah more of that would have been good instead of just kind of the workout the exercise boot camp mentality mm-hmm. and yeah also, very big e- emphasis on like putting in the work and not really like enjoying and not enjoying it yeah and and you to both
1: post- well actually that would be the 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 actual normal way of doing it is is that you get the benefit from the work when you're doing the work. Um, In the real world, you can say that would be the difference between a cooperative or self-employment versus working for a big corporation. If you're working for a big corporation, then you're going to get your promotions after a long time of being putting in all of the work and all the work and all the work and finally you get a raise and things like this, to where the cooperative, they, they share uh, the profits among themselves for the work that they're actually doing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in, in this regard, we're getting the benefit for the actions that we're taking immediately, rather than having to go through delayed gratification. Yeah, and it's very Western for us to go through delayed gratification that we put in the work and we don't get the reward for it. This is what the Buddha refers to as the woeful state of being an animal. We train our kids in that in uh, first grade, that you're not supposed to enjoy first grade. None of the first graders really enjoy first grade. They, they actually play in play school and in kindergarten, they enjoy that. And a little bit of education is done along with that. But when they go into the first grade, we have to sit down in a classroom. Hmm. We have to do what we're told to do. We have to pay attention to the teacher. We have to put in the homework and all of that kind of stuff. And that's when the delayed gratification comes in. And so our life turns out from being the young child who is enjoying playing through his life, Now he's a student and he has to work through life. And after he gets out of school, never mind how much uh, school he's got, when he gets a job, now he has to work through that life. And the whole point then the Gawanka retreats is in fact, Gawanka uses the word, you gotta work, you gotta work. Rather than, Hey guys, you're here to relax and enjoy.
2: Here, look, this is my stepmom. Hi. Hello. Hi. How are you?
1: I cannot see anything above your mouth. I have a little bit of nose. Yeah, hi. Hello. Good to meet you. How are you? Everything is okay. Everything is happy. Clint, where are you? Thailand. And uh, on Koh Phangan, a small island uh, off the uh, east coast of Thailand, southern Thailand. Wonderful. Yes, it's a party island. <laughs> are you doing much partying yourself? Oh, I'm partying right now. <laughs>
2: nice. Who's this? The uh, Thailand guy. This is my yeah, dad? You have to go
0: down. Hi. Hi. How oh, are you?
1: Oh, now I know what's going on. Okay.
0: <laughs> what is going on? Huh? What is going on?
1: skin color
0: oh and, and now
1: i see everything <laughs> i see the whole story
0: well yes that is correct i'm i'm the winner on the skin color scale though i'll point out i know you've got more of it than any of them <laughs> thank you where 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 are you uh where are you
1: from where were you born
0: i was born in new delhi india
1: uh-huh okay My-
0: that's father and mother are from the south of India. Okay. And my mother is from the west coast of India, from the state of Kerala. All right. And my, my father is from the east coast of India, from the state of Tamil Nadu. Tamil Nadu. I've spent a lot of
1: time in Tamil Nadu. Yes, I've been in into Madras. And in fact, there was a teacher down there, uh, mother something or another that I went to visit.
0: Oh, so my father is uh, from Madras, so he grew up there, mm-hmm. and now 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 known as Chennai, um, and my yeah, because they've changed all the names, and now my mother and my mother's from the other side of the uh, peninsula, uh, the west coast, so to speak. But uh, most of my life I spent in in New Delhi.
1: Okay, well, y- your your accent indicates that you've been in the west for a number of years
0: i have been out of india since
1: 1987 mm-hmm.
0: so yes that is correct
1: well it's nice to meet you i'm it's having a, a lot of and in fact work. i also have noticed his last name though he's only got an r but i I've, I've heard it is a very indian last name yeah
0: yes it's a, it's Ra- a it's Ra- what is it ramaswamy Ramaswamy.
1: Well, I did remember it correctly. Yes. yes.
0: Yeah. So it's a it's a great pleasure to uh, finally talk to you. Daniel's uh, mentioned you a number of times and uh, I know he's been talking to you for a while. And uh, so it's it's great to see you finally and, uh, and chat with you.
1: Well, I'm glad to meet you. Yeah, and we I'm hope a-
0: to. Go ahead.
1: I'm also very very pleased that the parents. You see, a lot of the students that I have, the moms and dads don't want their student into Buddhism.
0: Why? Why? Yeah, we we have no such uh, yeah. concerns. I believe that that uh, knowledge is uh, universal, and 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 you there is no uh, fear of knowledge is not not a good thing. So, knowledge takes many forms. I am happy that you're imparting some of it to uh, to young Daniel here. And uh, uh, we've talked about, uh, you know, even coming and, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in Singapore and Malaysia and uh, Daniel and I have been talking about uh, coming one of these uh, one of these years. No, no, no commitment yet, but uh, coming mm-hmm. down there, and paying you a visit.
1: I would like that, that currently would- there are a number of students in Thailand right now uh, that I've had three students ordain. Uh, one yes. one of them uh, a guy named David has just ordained this week excellent oh, wow. um and that we have students doing retreat uh, on a regular basis so um, Laurent nor David Daniel cathal Vinny, Eric uh, <laughs> that's all that's how many students that are here in Thailand right now that there were few coming during the COVID, but now that yes. the COVID is over, people yes. are, um, uh, coming and doing the retreats. We have a lot of retreat centers and a lot of watch here in Thailand for people to go and visit and, and, uh, get around real monks, really noble, high quality people.
0: Yeah. I'm, I we look forward to uh, experiencing that at some point in the future.
1: All right. Well, where do you live? what Where's your location? So San we're
0: Diego? we're in San Diego in California. okay.
1: All right, around San Diego, there is um a Watt meta, Achanisoro, uh, and there's also other tie-wats in southern mm-hmm. California. And That's so, so that one. would be a uh, Yeah, there's uh
2: There's a couple yeah. la ones. I've only seen law ones and there's a Tich Nhat Hanh one. Yeah, nearby. the Vietnamese
0: that deer park. I've been to the Deer Park uh, Monastery a couple of times. I think the teachings are fantastic. Just everyday life of simplicity and humility and
1: detachment. Yes. I highly recommend people in the West in the United States to find the various temples you see because of the Vietnam War there were a lot of um uh refugees that eventually came here uh from that and so there are uh, millions of vietnamese millions of laotians uh, hundreds of thousands of thai people um and so over the years they have uh developed and built watts right now in fact the latest that i've heard is in there are approximately a thousand buddhist temples or watts mm. in the united states that oh. blows my mind <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> because i haven't been to all of them yes
1: i've only been well, to about let,
0: me, 50. let me let me put it this way um the united states is sorely in need of a return to a simplicity and clear thinking
1: i know i know (laughs) um but the media and the politics in the united states does not support that and not only that but neither do the religions the religion should in fact support that that was what the original point was about christianity jesus was uh, quite a teacher of that
0: the religions Uh, have uh, been transformed into businesses which is mm -hmm. a problem (laughs) I I would
1: not agree with that. They haven't been transformed into businesses. They've been transformed into political parties.
0: Yeah, close (laughs) enough. Yes, I agree. Yes, I agree.
1: (laughs) And so getting back to that easygoing uh, simplicity, I mean, look how many miserable people, no matter how much money they can attain, they're still are miserable. They don't have the feeling of satisfaction with their lives. Are always yes. wanting something, and this is what I'm uh, working with Daniel to teach him how to be satisfied with the way things are right now.
0: Yes, that we no, can and handle we're, we're, things. We're grateful for your instruction of Daniel, and you know, I I I, I try to add uh, a little voice to that occasionally, that uh, because it's it's a uh, simplicity and and uh, freedom from from desire. Is, is, is really the key to happiness.
1: Well, I would agree with you 100%, but I would add something to that. And that is, is that this is something that most people miss out on anyway, is that there are some things that are worth desiring. There are some wholesome yes. things that are worth desiring. So we don't, uh, a lot of people get caught into in the West of desiring desirelessness. But I wouldn't right. say that desirelessness is yeah. the state that we want to be into, but rather satisfaction would be the state that we would want to be in. Basically, yes. because the desires that we have are wholesome desires.
0: Yes. Uh, rather absolutely.
1: than unwholesome desire.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. We we let you return to your lesson here. All, All right. I am so to happy you. to meet you. Thank you. to Come Likewise. on. Great meeting okay. you.
1: Nice to meet you. Okay, bye bye.
0: Thank you, Daniel. -hmm. fun.
1: So this has been about an hour and twenty minutes. uh, So we've been. I'm I'm really glad to see you again, Daniel, and I hope to see you again soon. And I hope that what we've talked about today has been all over the map because that's what a dialogue would be, rather than a particular teaching.
2: Yeah, we covered a lot of ground.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so does any, do you have anything to say? Uh, no, to end we it? covered
2: some good topics, good review. Uh-huh. I'm glad I got to talk about my retreat. I hadn't talked to exactly. anybody.
1: <laughs> so Miguel, I see that you're still on. Do you have any comments or anything to say?
0: No, all right. So Thank you all for coming. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.